Thanks for listening to a podcast from WSUM. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Live from Madtown, After Further Review is back on the FM airwaves. I'm Vince Hesburgh, and I am so glad that you're taking time out of your Tuesday evening to listen to us. I am so glad I'm in such a great mood. I feel so blessed, despite the fact that I am still joined by Alex Schuster. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it's great to be back in the studio, back live. Uh, no more asynchronous. I mean, asynchronous will still be available. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, just back in the main studio, sitting here on a Tuesday in our, our new time slot, one hour earlier than we were last year. Uh, just a great place to be. Absolutely. I like the, we talked talking before, I mean, you like the stakes that come along with being live because I can't just edit out all my ums and uhs. I got to go as I'm going here. Well, as always, we start with Rate My Take, where the two of us will give, we came prepared with sports opinions that other people don't know about. Now we'll share them to each other, and we will grade them. So uh, we'll flip a coin here. Alex, is it heads or tails? Uh, I'm going to go heads. Heads, it is. Tails. Uh, I will elect to defer. I'll let you go first to start off the new year. Okay. Um, so stop me if I've done this one before, because I'm 75% sure that I have, but College football overtime is the best thing in sports, and the NFL should adopt those rules. Have we talked about this? I don't before? think so. Okay, it'd be funny if we did though. It, I was like, I, I've had this opinion since they introduced it, and like my very first time watching a college football overtime. Yeah, I can't remember who it was against, but I know it was like Tennessee, the very first time we got to see the new rules formatting, and it was just so exciting to see. I mean, the offense gets the ball. Uh, I believe the 35 yard line something like that to start and you basically just go back and forth each team getting offensive possessions um and you i mean everyone likes to see scoring in sports that's uh for the most part what you're watching for uh as a fan and it, it's just endless excitement going back and forth both teams uh essentially in red zone uh position going back and forth seeing which team can either make a defensive stand get a turnover or something like that um, to help their team win or offensively uh, doing what you're supposed to in those situations and finding uh, the end zone. Or if you're forced to, you can, uh, of course, make the play for a field goal and, yeah. and play that way. But for the most part, it is basically teams just going straight for touchdowns and even two-point conversions. And uh, that's what we saw in the Colorado-Colorado State matchup. Fun the game. game went all the way until almost like 3 in the morning. Um, <laughs> it, it was so fun to watch. It, amazing comeback. Um, excellent overtime, I would say. Um, and it just makes me think, like, the overtime games we saw from the NFL, I think were a little bit disappointing. Like, um, the Seahawks-Lions game. Yeah. Uh, Lions tie the game up and then don't even get a, another chance with the ball. The game is already over when the uh, Seahawks start overtime with yep. the ball, go down, score a touchdown, game is over. You don't even get to see the other team's offense come out into the field. And they did correct that uh, for playoffs in the NFL, allowing both teams uh, to get at least one possession with the ball. Um, but I, I, even then, I, I think that's not the right way to go. I think college football found the answer and um, with just the excitement. It, it adds kind of like that, that shootout feel a little bit. And even if uh, you want to say, okay, like it, it's not traditional football, I could understand giving like an extra like five minute overtime period, but then if neither team scores in that, I, I think they have to find a way to implement that system into the NFL. 
Yeah, um, I would. I'll give you. I'll give you the six out of ten. Well, I do agree that the college system is way better. It's just when it, I will say that when it comes to football and overtime, some team is going to get some sort of advantage. That's kind of luck. I mean, in the case of the NFL, it's you know getting the ball first, obviously a huge advantage. I think the number is like eighty percent of the time the team that gets the ball first wins in overtime. But even in college, that first drive, getting the ball second is also a big advantage because you know if you can kick a field goal and tie it or if you have to go for it on fourth down. But, yeah, I'd agree. Just It almost feels like such an unsatisfying ending. And the biggest problem with it is in baseball, they adjusted the overtime rules when they, they start with a runner on second base because the games go so long. It'd be these 18 inning games that are just a complete mess by the end where there's just um, – pitchers batting at some point sometimes we'll need batters to start pitching at the end of games but when it comes to uh college football and the nfl pace of play is not an issue no one is saying that nfl games are too long they could say there's too many commercials but they're not saying that the actual product on the field is ever feel bloated so yeah i'll agree with you that being said saying it's the best thing in sports i mean come on the best thing in sports is seeing mason crosby hit a field goal to beat the cowboys in 2017 but as a whole, I do agree that college overtime is pretty darn solid. I, I disagree. I stand by that being the best thing in sports. I think like a, a penalty shootout in soccer is like that is as a fan, that's what you're most excited for. When that happens, you get to see both teams go back and forth. Who has the better score? There's so much pressure on the, on the situation. Like it, it should be an easy shot. And all the time you see guys just kick it straight over the crossbar and all these things like the pressure of that situation and how the players feel in that moment lets you know of how exciting and how big and how important that moment is for uh, soccer. And then if you look at hockey, the way they do the, the like a shootout or getting it like a penalty shot, yeah. that, to me, that's it's so exciting. Just one-on-one a player against the defender, the goalie in this case, um, in always a scoring situation. It's always like the highest pressure in most intense yeah. scenario. And they just keep you in that for the entire end of the game, and I, I love that. Yeah, um, and what I think would also be sick is if imagine, like, I think NFL overtime is pretty solid, but just imagine if they also had one-on-ones where you, like, bring in your best offensive player and best defensive player. They'd have, like, um, king of the court rules, like, seven dribbles to get a bucket. Uh, yeah, I'd agree, though. I, I do like hockey's overtime, but still, best thing in sports. I gotta, I gotta draw a line somewhere. I don't, it's so... Watching the game, I would, like, sitting there uh with a couple of my friends and we both like all turned next to each other like oh overtime and then like everyone realized like wait a minute like it's like college football overtime too and that like got us even more yeah. excited <laughs> you so tell about the I, colorado game uh yeah in the yeah. colorado game so th- just that feeling by itself that that is what i mean if you got that imagine getting college football overtime in a national championship game can you imagine like how excited that would be ridiculous. yeah i think that that right there would be my dream like that would be my like i would i want to watch that so bad so i I do think that would be like right now like the most entertaining thing that could happen in the sports world all right well um i guess we can agree disagree with you that but i I understand uh it's okay if i start my take then yeah go ahead awesome so uh, there's so much going on in the sports world right now the packers had a a game that was as promising that was as promising as it was frustrating uh, the Badgers volleyball team picked up their biggest win of the year. We'll talk about that in a bit. So, of course, I asked Arthur, you're talking about the Brewers. Uh, now, baseball is a 162-game season. They basically thrive off of, if you can name it, it's probably happened at some point. That being said, just because something can happen and has happened doesn't mean it happens too often. And the Brewers had themselves a season-defining win the other day in terms of pure excitement. 
Uh, Brewers were had a 5-1 lead over the Nationals, but then Corbin Burns allowed four runs to score to tie it up. And in the bottom of the eighth, bases loaded, Mark Canna hits a grand slam to break the game wide open. It was an incredible moment. Fans, I believe it was over well over 30,000, a packed game. It was just an insane atmosphere. Incredible to see something that is probably the biggest moment of the year. Now, in such an exciting moment, all, all the players were going crazy. Mark Canna, who is a 34-year-old player who enjoys raiding food in his spare time, hit the nastiest bat flip of all time, shooting it like 20 feet in the air. And I'm, I'm kind of an old man. I, I don't like when players are celebrating when they hit a solo shot to cut it to two runs in the sixth inning. But sometimes I'm okay with players letting people know that there's some bad guys playing baseball. Anyways, the what's so crazy about... Or the camera showed Mark Hanna flipping the bat and watching the ball fly, but it also showed something in the background that some astute viewers pointed out. As soon as he hit it, all the players rushed up and were celebrating. Coaches were cheering. Everyone was high-fiving except for one person, Craig Council. As soon as he saw Mark Hanna hit the ball, the minute he saw it go in the air, he instantly turned around and got on the bullpen phone to tell the bullpen coach to stop having their tie game pitcher warm up and bring in the guy they'd bring in for a four run lead in the ninth. And I think that that kind of speaks to just how great Craig Council has been as the Brewers manager. There's reports swirling around that he's going to take a uh, a break after this year, which will surely, I mean, would almost certainly mean the end of his time as a Brewers manager. Not confirmed yet, but that seems to be what people are saying will happen. And I think that this will end probably the most underrated and certainly most disrespected run that a manager has had as a baseball coach. The Brewers, um, since their first season in 1969, all the way up to 2015, the Brewers made the playoffs four total times in their history. And sure, the playoffs were smaller, but even from 1995, when they went to the 12-team playoffs, uh, till 2015, they still only made it twice in that period. Uh, so they made it four total times in that period. Under Craig Council, when this October will mark his fifth appearance. So over the course of just eight years, he has taken this team to the postseason more times than every other year combined. Now, a lot of that is due to some of the nifty front office moves that have been made. Christian Yelich was one of the biggest steals of all time. Looks like William Contreras is going to be another all-time steal. I'm so excited to see him under club control. But by and large, we need to take some time to appreciate the fact that a team that is constantly in the lower third of payroll is having so much success. Last year, the Brewers had themselves, I believe it was 80, 84 wins and missed the playoffs, and that was one of the more disappointing seasons that they've had in a long time. That'd be something that not too long ago people would be thrilled over and call it a promising start to a new a new regime. So, now obviously it's hard to grade managers. I mean, in terms of coaches, they probably have the least impact over what happens in a game, but some of the decisions that he makes are, I would argue, really solid. Now, you see the times where... He'll pull a pitcher early, the reliever comes in, and then the reliever allows a bomb that blows the game. It's like, oh my gosh, Craig Council's back at it again. But the Brewers, have since 2018, have the best record in one-run games. They have played amazing situational baseball because of the pulse that Craig Council has making decisions. So, you know, it, and I'd also argue that it's easy to get mad at something when it does happen, but it's impossible to get mad at the thing that doesn't happen. We don't know about the times where he pulls a pitcher that would have gone on to allow four runs the next inning if he was overworked. The time that he pulled a pitcher who would have gotten hurt. The time that he brings in a pinch batter who who hits a sack fly while another guy would have hit a double play, the person he didn't bring in. So there's so many stuff that 
it's hard to grade, but I still think that when you look at the results, the Brewers have themselves the best manager in baseball, and I think he's going to be sorely missed once this year ends. I don't know how to grade that at just because of my lacking knowledge of the world of baseball. Um, so the case that you build, I mean, if I had to pick a team, I'd be a Brewers fan. So if everything... you had to pick a team. <laughs> uh, I, I'm... So I'm encouraged to just give you a 10 because of that and just be a, a complete it. homer on that. Um, but we don't give out 10s here, so you're going to get a 9.9. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I had one question from that, though. You said like that managers have like the smallest impact out of like any coach. Like Why is that Like on like team performance? or like? How? Well, you can change the order that guys hit, but guys just – I mean, it's the most one-on-one sport out of all of them. You don't really make substitutions very often like in basketball. You're not calling plays like a football coach. By and large, your decision-making is pretty minimal during the course of a game, which I'd say makes it so incredible that the Brewers have had a winning record in one-run games eight or in their last eight years. So I think that when he does make decisions, they have been incredibly solid. Okay. I generally just didn't know that I, I, I wanted to learn more yeah but um, happy to help yeah so it how do you give him the credit in those like what if scenarios then of like well you don't yeah. right? it's a matter of just seeing if there's a net gain and I'd say the record speaks for itself but I'd argue that being a manager is more than just the decision making I mean a lot of stuff happens you have a 162 game season the Brewers got swept by the Oakland Athletics this spring if you remember that they've also had massive winning streaks And through it all, Craig Council is totally, some would say robotic. I'd say he's just calm. He's seen it all. He's won World Series. He knows that stuff goes in ebbs and flows. And this team, here's another stat for you. Uh, Since 2018, the Brewers are 78 and 46 in September games. That's like the big month of the year where you got to buckle in, get your lineup figured out, and just go crazy down the stretch. That winning percentage would equate to a 102 win pace every year. I believe the Braves are going to have 104 wins, which would, which would be easily the best in baseball. So September Brewers play among the best teams in baseball consistently. It, are there any other uh, managers that are like in the same league as Council? Or is it, oh, well, it, there's plenty of guys who have that decisions with bullpens and stuff. It's usually for teams where they don't have a ton of money, so they're kind of forced to try and make some, I guess I hate saying the phrase money ball maneuvers, but I kind of have to. So I know Terry Francona from the Guardians is very good. Kevin Cash um, for the the Rays has been pretty solid. But I really think that when you just look at some of the crazy stuff that happens with the Brewers and all the goofy moves that they make, especially in the playoffs, and you can just see a completely calm, maybe even dead inside Craig Council reacting to everything that happens, I think that really goes a long way psychologically for the team. Awesome. All right. And with that, we'll jump to our first edition of, uh, what are we calling it, the thing where we like talk about badger sports uh was it badger sports update we'll we'll come up with a better name next week anyways after a demoralizing week two loss to washington state the wisconsin football team rebounded with a 35 to 14 win over washington state stomachs were tight after the game was tied seven to seven at half when a 21 point offensive outburst in the third quarter propelled wisconsin to a win now the win was not perfect but it was exactly what wisconsin needed to see i'd argue oh definitely i mean uh you and me were both standing watching the game together yeah um, and we i was it in the third quarter that we looked up and, and saw uh the passing and rushing stats for the game and it was basically like a split 
one to one rushing and passing. Like yeah. we got a good mix of the ground game going, especially towards the end of the game. Um, and that was to me something that was pretty exciting. I mean, there were so many runs where it looked like Braylon out Allen was uh, ready to just break all the way to the house. Uh, never quite got one of those going, um, but just trending in the right direction. Oh, he still had a very efficient running performance, and he hardly even saw the ball in the first half. I've heard some people say that the Badgers are purposely not throwing out their best stuff until conference play starts. I'd still argue that if they weren't doing that, then they really slipped up against Washington State, and they should have gone to their good stuff sooner. And then I don't get why they stopped their good stuff in the fourth quarter, because they didn't score a single point. But still, it's, you know... Maybe our expectations were a tick too high for this Badgers team, but I still think that winning the Big Ten West is a not maybe not an expectation, but certainly something that fans can hope for. Yeah, I I think the expectation was so interesting. Like for bringing in like Fickle, like immediately we were supposed to have like an undefeated season out of, like out of nowhere. Like, supposedly, I don't think people are saying like, undefeated, but, but much I much mean, improved. Yeah, and I don't know how that expectation got set to that point of like yes the like boom instant one year change like I, I feel like that's almost never the narrative especially in college sports of like you usually give them at least a year I feel like at least Badger fans uh, maybe not like experts per se have felt like okay boom fickle like this is the year we're gonna do it immediately <laughs> and I mean for the most part that's not usually the case no rare to see a, a one year turnaround I think a lot of the excitement has come through the coordinators that they've brought in. Uh, I know that Mike, or not not Mike Trestle, he's a defensive coordinator. Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator. I saw an interesting story about him where before the year starts, uh, a couple times every year he goes to the beach and sets up a tent and like gets some snaps or some snacks and his laptop and he just spends all day designing plays on the beach, which I think is just hilarious. I mean, whatever provides you the inspiration you need to yeah to draw up the playbook i mean i know i guess that's the mark of a, a true dedicated person is filling the moments that make up a dull day with your work so i really think that the offense is going to get going at some point i mean when you're completely shifting from a ground and pound to an air raid there's going to be a learning curve but that I, that's not an excuse for the badgers to have a a terrible not terrible but a disappointing year from their perspective definitely uh and even with the loss to Washington State, I, I think I wouldn't call that that disappointing. I mean, going into the game, I kind of thought like we were leading up for a little bit of a letdown spot there. I mean, Washington State still is a really good football team um, and might have been a little bit overlooked. And first game on the road under a new head coach, uh, things can be a little bit difficult there. But um, even with that, like I, I still would say that like we're on the right path. And I'm still excited about what uh, for the rest of the season with this football team. Yeah, Washington State, they're 21 ranked after beating Wisconsin. They also just beat Northern Colorado 64-21. to So it was a winnable game. I maintain that. We scored zero points in the fourth quarter. But still, the fact that we went toe-to-toe and maybe should have beat a ranked, a legitimate ranked team, I think that bodes well, as disappointing as the result was. Uh, with that, we will... Jump to soccer. The men's team opened conference play with a 0-0 tie against Indiana, which puts their record at 3-2-2. They'll get a chance at a marquee win against 19th-ranked Northwestern at 7 o'clock tonight. Now to Wisconsin women's soccer, where Wisconsin has four-game win streak snapped by Nebraska. The Cornhuskers strike first with an Eleanor Dale goal in just a 12th minute, but Arissa Mark salvaged a draw with an equalizing goal with just two and a half minutes left in the game. 
They'll host Iowa on Thursday before playing Michigan State Sunday, which will be available on Big Ten Network. I love seeing non or women's sports on the Big Ten Network, especially ones I can see these underrated Badger teams sneak in there. Like we, the volleyball team, which we'll talk about in just a bit, they were on uh, Big Ten when they played Marquette. And they were on ESPN the other day when they played Florida, which is a game I cannot wait to talk about because it was awesome. I mean, if you're that excited, should we just jump right into it? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, and I do want to say, though, real quick that um, the, the game against Michigan State, it'll be at McClyman Field. And I want to reiterate that admission is free to the game. So it's going to be a packed house, I would think, based on the presence that will be there. Really excited to see what happens. I will either be there or watching, but either way, I'm going to see what happens. Very excited. And as you alluded to, we can jump to volleyball, where the volleyball team picked up their biggest win of the season by taking down Florida in five sets. The team was down two sets to none, but rallied to win the next three and defeat the third-ranked Gators. The win moved Wisconsin to 9-0 in the season and helped them keep their number one national ranking. They'll play at Northwestern this Friday and return home Sunday for a matchup against Indiana. I mean... After watching the Packers uh, fall apart, fall apart maybe not the right word, struggle down the stretch, is that fair? It's a, a different, uh, or it's a little bit more positive, Yeah, I, I would say, yeah. Yeah, well, after watching that and then watching the uh, Brewers lose an extra innings to the Nationals, this was the ultimate palate cleanser for me. Just seeing this team bounce back after, because there were some that were saying that, you know, they've had some close losses to teams that maybe they should have obliterated. Here they are down 0-2 to Florida. Maybe they're not so legit. Just seeing them bounce back and win three straight sets, that was just incredible to see. And I would also add that up front, they've been incredible. Um, Sarah Franklin is just the death to all things volleyball-shaped just incredible to watch this team and they're just fun too because i feel like you know it's almost like a basketball where a slam poster dunk is still worth as many points as a wide open layup but you can't tell me that that doesn't get a team hyped up just like seeing anna Sprek absolutely punish a volleyball into the hardwood in a critical set so there's some highlight plays i really think can change momentum awesome well with that we'll jump to our segment likes and dislikes uh, alex and i watch a lot of sports and we can't bring, make everything into a segment. So this is kind of our hodgepodge chance to talk about some stuff that we saw. So, Alex, why don't you go ahead here? Uh, so one of my biggest likes is uh, seeing someone other than a Red Bull winning in Formula One. Uh, Red Bull won uh, 12 straight races to set an all-time record uh, for most consecutive race wins. Uh, and then I believe their best finish was fifth this uh, past weekend uh, in the Singapore Grand Prix. Uh, Ferrari stepping up and finally knocking off uh, Red Bull to take their first win of the season, I believe. Um, and to me, it was just exciting to see uh, a little bit of variety in that sport. I mean, it was exciting to watch Verstappen just completely dominate um, and, and get to that record. Um, but then the second he earned it, of course, had to stumble. Um, and I mean, th there was a, a lot of different elements. I mean, the track wasn't that great for their car they had a little bit of issues with the brakes um so i don't think it'll be like a long-term issue for them but it was just nice to see a little bit of variety uh in that sport um then uh my biggest dislike was just uh losing in fantasy football uh by <laughs> 0.52 points which i know nobody likes to hear about other people's fantasy but i think that's just like the most disappointing 
uh, way to lose. Like I would almost rather get beat by 60 points than lose by less than one, uh, especially in fantasy football. You just have absolutely no control other than setting your lineup, um, which I did very poorly this weekend, which I don't really need to get into. Uh, <laughs> Until you want to, though. A little bit, but I don't. I don't think we got to use our airtime for that. Fair enough. I will say about fantasy football. I'm trying to make a pledge to only check um, my fan how my fantasy players are doing after each game is completed because I know that the amount of points my players score may increase my chance of victory, but the number of times I check to see how many points they're scoring does absolutely nothing but stress me out. So I'm going to do my best to not do that. But, man, fantasy can be addicting. You see a guy like, ooh, that's a 14-yard catch. That'll be 2.4 points in my PPR league. It, you know, you could. I understand the argument that it, it has a, a downward effect on the fan watch experience, but I mean, when you get that money at the end, I'd say that's all worth it. Yeah, I mean, I think a good rule of thumb is to make sure you're looking up at the screen more than you are down at your phone and swiping to check uh, your matchup and everything. Uh, but yeah, I might have to try that too because I have like. In the past, I've kept my phone up basically the entire day on Sunday, just watching what, how my team's doing and, and what's happening. Yeah. Um, but checking at the end of the day would probably be the best case scenario. I mean, because you're not going to change anything. Like, it's not, <laughs> you're not going to help your team win by keeping your eyes glued to your phone there. But uh, it is kind of nice to see the little bar move closer and closer to like guaranteeing your win, yeah. which or I'm further and further in, away. In my case, yeah. Oh, that was so disappointing. Mm, I can, I can tell, but that, that is tough though. Now, is, am I good if I go ahead then? Awesome. So, uh, for my likes, now I believe that officials, they, some of the hate that they get is warranted. I talked about why I think that the MLB should never go complete robot umps. And it looks like they're going to do something right down the middle, which I think is perfect where batters can challenge certain calls during the course of the game. I think that's a perfect happy medium because some guys like Pat Holberg are incredible umps. And then Angel Hernandez is just out here basically guessing what's going on. However, I still think of these guys as legitimate human beings. I mean, just imagine if you if your job involved you getting booed by thousands of people every single day. I'd say that'd be somewhat stressful. And Angel Hernandez does look like a pretty cool guy. There's videos of him giving kids baseballs after games. <clears throat> but what I love the most is when these guys have personality. Because it's funny, the fans love it. And it makes the refs kind of feel pretty cool. And that's what we saw in that Seahawks-Lions game. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. Why don't you about. go ahead and explain it, it then? So I don't remember what the actual call was. Uh, but Intentional grounding. Uh, and was it Geno Smith coming up to the ref uh, trying to plead his case of his receiver ran the wrong route and uh, there, he should have been uh, where the ball was thrown? And the ref stopped him and said, I'm talking to America right now <laughs> <laughs> with his uh, mic on live, which was one of the funniest clips I've seen from the entire weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, he said it so, like, I don't want to say sassy, but he, he was giving it back to him. And it was like, it wasn't like he stopped and was like, got mad at him. Just a quick, like, excuse me, I'm talking to America here. This is my moment. Yeah. You step back. <laughs> yeah. And th there's been other referee moments. And if you go back in time, you can see some really good ones. Uh, and, or NBA used, referees used to yell back at players when they yell at them. But I think that I just want I, there's nothing that I like to do more than a brief history over someone. I want to talk about Ben Dreeth, who a, a referee in the '80s who popularized the term "giving him the business." Have you seen that clip before? I've never seen that. Clip. Yeah, a player got um, hit after the play, and 
Dreeth just like storms over to the camera. He'd be like, personal foul, number 67. He's giving him the business down there. And I think that's awesome. Because, I mean, not only does it give you more personality, I'd argue giving him the business is a better description of what goes on than unnecessary roughness. <laughs> that is a great term. It would be funny if they, like, kind of like how commentators are kind of technically a part of like the officiating crew and like they're part of this like the staff and like you are allowed to give some commentary there it would be nice to to hear the ref's thoughts on some of those plays as well yeah and another thing about ben dreed i just want to look into him uh, in 1990 he was 65 and the league tried to move him to the review uh the instant replay booth almost like kicking someone upstairs to kind of fire them and he filed an age discrimination lawsuit against them arguing that his performance on the field is better than most of the young referees that came in and the court agreed and awarded him $165,000 what a hero oh man that just makes me so happy and now I guess it's a perfect time for me to shift to my dislikes which make me rather unhappy if I'm being honest I'll start out with James Harden now there is nothing materializing on the trademark and I think that James Harden needs a real reality check right now because when he was an MVP scoring 30 points a game at pretty solid efficiency and leading teams to the playoffs basically single-handedly and taking the Rockets within giving them multiple chances to defeat the juggernaut Warriors I'd say teams would love to would happily even deal with some of the stuff that he's doing that being said he wasn't an all-star last year there's been multiple articles about him brooding and being a complete menace and he said that he doesn't get enough respect for the fact that he sacrificed and you expect a long-term deal. I'd argue that if you are doing something kind so something good happens to you later, you're not doing a kind thing. You're just making an investment. Yeah, didn't he do like a press conference where he said that Daryl Morey like, uh, broke like a backdoor deal with him and that no, he'll he never just said play that, for the Sixers again? He just said that Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never play for organization he leads, which yeah. his agent told him not to say. Um, that would probably be a good idea. Yeah, and also shout out to Harden for saying that in China, where Dale Morey is not necessarily liked. But it's just, it's frustrating because he could be a really productive role player, but he just needs to look in the mirror right now. And the fact that he thought that a team would immediately be gushing to give over assets for him, a 34-year-old with physical health uh, issues, I'll say, effort he's issues. overweight like, yeah he's not in play he's not in the shape that most nba players i shouldn't say overweight because he could beat me up really easily but compared to most nba players out of playing shape yeah yeah so i just it just frustrates me so much to believe that he doesn't get it and because i understand the player empowerment era i believe that you can't just say that players can be paid a tiny amount of money because they basically are the reason why they teams are making money they're the most important pieces of billion dollar companies they deserve to be compensated well for that but the stuff that james harden does just pushes it and makes other players who are taking pay cuts it just makes them look bad so kind of makes me unhappy yeah it's entirely taking advantage of that player empowerment era and it's the whole reason people complain about having that going on yeah Uh, and I feel like it gives like the NFL even more power to say like here we gotta like avoid this. This is why we're allowed oh, yeah. to just look at the Deshaun Watson deal. Yeah, and this is why we're allowed to keep stuff like the like franchise tag and all these things like that can basically ensure that a team drafts a player and if they want to they can keep him. Yeah, forever. Uh, which in some cases that 
is yeah, I'm not a, a super thing. big yeah. franchise tag guy, but I under it does work to the player's benefit and the team's benefit at times. I just don't think it ever works. It, it's always used, and no one either one side is not happy about it or the other isn't. Rarely are they like, oh, franchise tag, we good, but I guess that's neither here nor there. I just think that James Harden is sullying the name of of a ton of other NBA players, and he, the fact that he seems surprised that there's no trade market for him right now is blows my mind. But well, I'm sure we'll talk about that when he inevitably gets traded halfway through the year and then has like a 50-point game when he comes back. But anyways, I'll jump to my final dislike, and that's being that Shohei Otani was shut down for the year. This was tough to see. Uh, he'll probably still win MVP, although Corey Seager of the Texas Rangers is having himself a monster year. But it's just... Now, I said in July, they, the Angels, they could have traded Shohei and gotten a massive haul as a rental player, but instead they, they went all in, they traded their prospects, they just went nuts, and it it backfired considerably. And now they have the worst farm system in the league, they're about to lose the best player in the league for nothing, and their only guy who they can really trade is Mike Trout, who some teams don't even want to because he's such an injury risk right now. So I, I don't even feel like, oh, I was right. It just makes me sad to see that this is how it winds up. Especially with such a talented player, like I think basically this entire year he's been like the biggest name in baseball. There's been a few like Ellie De La Cruz and a few guys that like popped onto the scene, uh, but he I I feel like has led a little bit of yeah like, baseball's comeback, if you will, of like more people paying attention to it. I mean, I have tried to, I, I didn't really stay committed to that as That's best I could have, but uh, yeah. I mean, one of the most exciting players in all of sports, and, uh, I mean, everyone's going to miss him. Yeah, and it's just sad because I really thought that he would go down with the Angels when they made all those moves. I thought he'd at least go down fighting in September and getting eliminated late, but Angels already are eliminated, and they honestly didn't even come that close, to be honest, and the fact that he's just shut down for the year and not even going to play him anymore because he's getting surgery just a disappointing game because I thought the trades would at least give us some entertaining baseball to watch but in fact they probably got worse to be honest they traded for they traded their number two and number three prospect for Lucas Giolito who pitched to like a I believe it was an over five and a half ERA and they DFA'd him to try and get under the salary or the the luxury tax so they literally just get, gave up two promising prospects for a guy who honestly contributed to losing more than winning and it's not even something to laugh at it's just disappointing yeah i mean i, I don't yeah. know yeah it's, <laughs> it's just disappointing like, yeah I, you came on and uh over the summer that was one of your great your rate my takes right I, or i think it was halfway through the year okay actually no it was that was the one where we, we had a guest host yeah and just know th- these recordings will still be put as asynchronous edition i'm glad we can say asynchronous editions and like for real now instead of podcast episodes because i feel <laughs> terrible saying i have a podcast but yeah um that, that was something i said before and it, it gave me no pleasure to be 100 percent right maybe a little bit well with that we're gonna take a, a quick break here's some incredibly important messages but when we come back we're gonna dissect the packers week two loss and we got a fun game for each other to wrap up the show this is after further review Agent Orange will be performing with Spice Pistols and Dog Squad at the High Noon Saloon on Wednesday, September 27th. These pioneers of the surf punk movement are coming all the way from California and are sure to put on a high-energy show. Doors open at 7 and the show starts at 8. 
That's Agent Orange at the High Noon Saloons, September 27th. Hey Jay, what are you doing? I'm gonna walk. But Jay, the light is red. What if there's a car? You know I don't believe in cars. I'm gonna walk. Jay, please. I'm doing it. <gasps> He really put the L in walk. Let's not be like our ex-friend Jay. It's well known that Wisconsin ranks 46 in the country for jaywalking-related accidents. And with your participation, we could be 47th. Here are some tips to help you obey pedestrian traffic laws. Often find yourself restless at a red light? Carry around a fidget toy or a snack. Look left and right, then left again. Repeat as necessary. Hold hands while crossing the street. If still inclined to break the law, ask a friend to restrain you. Remember, you, you can't, can't walk if you're hit by a car. Well, welcome back to the show. You're listening to After Further Review on WSM 91.7. I'm Vincent Hesbrick with Alex Schuster. And that's so you know the year's officially back is when we can bust out the jaywalking PSA once again. I mean, that... I might make it my ringtone. It's that good. Yeah. It's funny because Annika Bereni is a great friend of ours, and she was very embarrassed about having to scream like that, and I don't think she knows that I play that every single time. So this is a good way to see if she's listening, which I shouldn't talk bad. Uh, she'll be on later tonight as part of her take, which is a pretty solid show. We we have four straight hours of sports shows, which is pretty awesome. Glad we get to lead the charge, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the show after a starting five is pretty average, if I'm being honest. I can see those guys in the other rooms. I'm trying to mess with them, but clearly they're just not listening to me right now. Well, with that, we'll jump into the our Packer grades. Uh, Alex and I have three different players that we want to give a, a grade to on how they played. I kind of just said the same thing twice. Alex, why don't you just go ahead here? Pretty self-explanatory. Uh, so I, my first player was uh, Jordan Love, uh, and I gave him a, a C on the day. I, I thought he started the game pretty well, but, I mean, the fourth quarter was brutal. Uh we, I, I don't believe we had a single first down in the entire fourth quarter. Um, and just throughout the game, I mean, he looked good on play action. Uh, he was 7 of 10 for 98 yards and two touchdowns uh, off play action, but um, couldn't get things really going dropping back and uh, kind of a little bit of a step back from last week. It was against a much better defense uh, in the Falcons, but uh, kind of left me wanting more towards the end of the game there. Yeah, it was... You know, I'd give a a B. I I thought that you know because a lot of stuff he didn't fly off the page. He had a I believe his passer rating was a hundred eight in the day. Three touchdowns and no interceptions is a pretty solid day. That being said, though, this feels like that the Packers relied on him in the fourth quarter way that they would rely on Aaron Rodgers, and the the job just did not get done. Yeah, and and I mean, that's where the big money's made, where you want your players stepping up and. Uh, leading your team and maintaining especially when you're in already in a winning position um and just continuing to put points on the board there which uh, a little bit unfortunate yeah but that. Th- that being said i think giving him a c is egregious considering that he was missing christian watson and david bacchiari and aaron jones and he still had three touchdowns no picks but i so i just wait I understand that fourth quarter a little bit more like it who cares if you play great for the first quarter if you lose the game and didn't do anything in the fourth? Okay. So I I, I agree. I'm I, a little bit harsh there, but... Yeah, uh, well, we're just spoiled is the problem. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, is, he was incredible for the Packers for a long time. 
So, yeah. but I mean, J Love still leads the league in passer rating, and we're criticizing him. So, good time to be a Packer fan, I guess. Uh, if you want, I can turn around uh, with my second player, Go for uh, it. Quay Walker. I had him at an A minus. Uh, you all over the the field defensively. Uh, eleven solo tackles, eight assisted tackles, uh, four QB pressures, um, four stops, and one uh, pass breakup. Uh, nearly intercepted that play, but yeah. uh, all doing that while not having any missed tackles on the day. Uh, just completely. Um, I, I think yeah, he's consistent. the best. Yeah, consistent. Probably the best performer on our defense uh, so far this season. Yeah, that's that's not even a bold take. It's, it's, it's pretty close to a fact when you look at how he played last oh, yeah. game as well. You know, he was a kind of a project player, one of those physical freaks. Maybe we can turn him into something. And last year did not go very well, I believe it. I, we, you know, I don't even need to talk about again what he did, but we, we all know. Lions medical staff also knows but just seeing him turn around and just play so disciplined as well is so heartening to see he, he really wanted he, in interviews he said he wanted to make an effort to you know turn around not just how he plays the game but the way he approaches the game his attitude during it and he's just he's been the Packers best player through two games and you love to see that oh definitely especially with such a young player too yeah you're right no with that I'll jump to my second grade now I have AJ Dillon on here and I I gave him a C on the day, but I, I really I want to talk about because people are really hammering him pretty bad now. It's like the entire fan base had turned on him within two days. I'd say it, when it comes to running backs, you know, sometimes they just have a good day, sometimes sometimes they have a bad day. Sometimes the offensive line just doesn't get a push up front when they happen to be in the game. He has certainly struggled this year, but I think that the idea that we have to trade for Jonathan Taylor immediately and break up this duo because AJ Dillon clearly is not the answer. I just think that's wrong. Now, you can point to him slipping on multiple occasions, as quickly that the third and one late in the game. But, I mean, those are something that just doesn't happen very often. Now, the fact that I'm not saying that he just got unlucky, but I think we got to perhaps pump the brakes a little bit on the A.J. Dillon hate. Not that he had a great performance. No, uh, he fumbled on one of those plays, didn't he? Did he? I can't quite remember. I I'm not 100% sure, but I, I do feel like it might just be a little bit of a fluky start to the season. Uh, again, not in his favor, obviously, but... Um, yeah, he did not fumble. Oh, he did not. Okay. Did we... Uh, I might be mixing that up with a different game. All right. Um, So he obviously struggling this year, but I, I think is at his best when it's operating with the one-two punch with yeah. him and Jones. Uh, I don't think he's meant to be like a, a lead back in an offense. He is... a a great secondary option um and i think that's kind of the role we need to see him and we need to have aaron jones back and have them getting rolling as a unit hopefully um a little better performance from yeah, the offensive like line as well but yeah um, he's almost like the grayson allen of the team where it's like you can get mad at him for x play and y play why the heck would you kick gary trent when in the <laughs> between his legs against the Raptors, but you look at a guy on the season, you know, he's, he puts up 10 points, he's a great um, contributor to the team, but he's just not someone that you can rely upon, except there's been some games where A.J. Dillon, like Grayson Allen, has just broken out and given a memorable performance, so yeah. hopefully we can see more of that. I mean, week three could happen, just saying. I think that breakout potential is a great comparison, but isn't A.J. Dillon, like, the, one of the nicest guys in the world? Yeah, right? he is. <laughs> he's awesome. He made a children's book. Um, he does a ton of stuff in the Green Bay community, so yeah. yeah. I don't think Grayson Allen's a jerk. 
I mean, I he's had some moments. He, but... does, he just gets that, like, narrative of, like, all the kicking and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah, he, he was much play, worse yeah. as a younger player. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, let's hear your third guy now. Uh, I had uh, Darnell Savage. Um, he's been a really good starter on our team. Uh, I mean, a, above average for the Packers defense uh, throughout his career. But um, just consistently, like, I always see it. I, I feel like he either, like, has, like, mental mistakes or, like, takes a playoff at least once or twice in every game. Um, and then in this game, it just so happened to be on some of the biggest plays. Uh, so I had him at a D. Uh, I just thought, I think it was two missed tackles on the game and then uh, gave up that one big deep shot over his head uh, to Mac Collins, really setting him up uh, to close us out there and uh, finish the comeback for the, the Falcons. So, yeah, I I was really, just really disappointed with that performance. Yeah, he had a really great week one, but just seeing him try and tackle Bijan Robinson's space, it was I almost had to look away. It wasn't the most horrific thing I saw. Okay, no, I'm gonna shut that down. What and I mean, Bijan Robinson is an amazing player. I mean, he dominated us. I I do think that like he is gonna be like one of the best players in the NFL this season, at least at the running back position. I mean, already. Like, yeah, he has a small workload yeah. too, and he's still getting the job done. So it, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world that like he is a hard player to to bring down. Mm-hmm. But uh, you got to make those tackles, especially in open space. So yeah, and it's easy to look at the plays of Darnell Savage missing and give him criticism, which is warranted. But this is a team that allowed two hundred and eleven rushing yards on the game. It was almost like when the Falcons figured out that this backer team could not stop the run. They just did not stop running the ball, and we had no answers, which is probably the most disappointing point because that's the most demoralizing way to lose is when you just can't stop the run. It's just pick up third down after third down. It really hurts. I'm sure it doesn't feel great for the players because I know it doesn't feel good for the fans because we lived it. Especially when, like, I don't know what you thought about Desmond Ritter, but I didn't think he was that, like, standout of a player in that game. It was really their running backs that just dominated for them um and i really thought that like if we just stepped up a little bit in the run game forced a little bit of a third and long uh some more passing downs in those uh like deeper situations yeah um and get forced the ball into ritter's hands a little bit more it would have set us up a lot better in that that fourth quarter yeah i agree ritter had a touchdown a pick uh that's a good for an 80 passer rating on the day 237 yards uh, which is actually a really good segue because despite that he had a 158.3 passer rating when targeting the person covered by jair alexander i mean that was incredible to watch during the game uh, you know it didn't look like that he was allowing deep bombs and stuff but there he just looked out of position in times not his usual sticky self yeah i think that was like the one player i was like least excited to talk about today I I intentionally (laughs) left him off my list I mean it's tough to have I mean ideally who I would have picked to be our best defensive player yeah uh, having an amazing week one yeah um just not being able to be consistent again in this week Uh, I wonder if he just overlooked the matchups and just like didn't have a guy that he could I don't know he's he's like pretty insane though with his yeah. work stuff i just he just looked yeah it's like he put his foot off the gas against drake london in the end zone there on that go-ahead touchdown but that's i mean it's good days and bad days so hopefully this will get him fired up and he will have the greatest season ever recorded by any player ever yeah he's gonna listen 
to our show. Yeah, and, and this, everyone does. And all the Packers do, of course. <laughs> this is, they probably have it playing in the locker room right now. Oh, man, of course. Uh, well, with that, we'll jump to our final segment, which I am incredibly excited for. We're doing two truths and a lie stats and news edition. Basically, Alex is going to give me three stats, and one of them will be not true, and I'll have to get figured out. And I'm going to read Alex three news headlines, and one of them will be fake. He'll have to try and decipher which one. Whoever does better will get a point on our ongoing competition we have against each other. It's tied 4-4, right? I believe so, yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, uh, I, I think you should go first just based off of the crazy stuff I got here. Do we want to go back and forth or sure, just roll back through? and forth. Okay. Uh, so my first one, uh, this is R- Rodgers and Favre themed. So okay. one is uh, Brett Favre has the most recorded fumbles in NFL history. That's true. Two, Aaron Rodgers' touchdown to interception ratio was twice as high as Brett Favre's. And three, Aaron Rodgers has the most career passing touchdowns per intercepted pass by a quarterback. Oh, okay. Um, I know first and three are true. Two's got to be false then. No, three oh. is false. The he, has, he doesn't have the best touchdown interception ratio? Someone has a better one. There was a, a Colt backup quarterback in the early 2000s oh, by the name of on. Jim Sorge. Six touchdowns to one interception. Rodgers well, is four point five two. It's rigged. tiny sample size. It is completely rigged. But oh my gosh! I, you would have never guessed it. Jim uh, Sorge. Wow, Jim Sorge. You know where he went to college? I do not. Wisconsin. Oh really? I yep. didn't know that. Funny that wow. had popped up. Well, I guess I'll go ahead then. Now you're not a baseball guy, so I just used three baseball headlines here. One of these is not true. Two of them are. So here's the first one. And it starts with a quote: "Our fans can be pretty stupid." Yankees pitcher Clay Holmes apologizes after physical altercation with fan after blown save. Second one, fantasy football dispute. Why did Reds' Tommy Pham slap Giants' Doc, Jock Peterson? And finally, Seattle Mariners fan sends Jesse Winker a pizza after ejection and major brawl with Los Angeles Dodgers. And all my stories happened the last two years, just so you know. I'm going to go number one is the lie. Yeah, that would be correct. Uh, yeah, Clay Holmes, he has... Certainly caught the ire of Yankees fans this year, but he has not gotten a physical dispute with a fan yet. <laughs> yet is the key word yeah, there. But oh. I just want to go back to the fantasy football thing. I mean, so basically, Jack Peterson put a player on the IL and he said another player, and Tommy Pham was not a fan of that. So he literally, they were on separate teams, but he still just went over to Jack Peterson and the other team and slapped him. I do remember hearing uh, oh, that headline. Uh, well, part of that was like, it, I, that was like the one of the the only baseball stories that I like could remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Like, just what happened here, um, and part of it <laughs> I think popped up on my feed because it was fantasy football related, which I think is like the funniest part. It, it wasn't even like the baseball or the slab. Yeah, it was like, oh, they're talking funny. about fantasy football. You'll hear about this. <laughs> Um, the, the last one I just completely guessed between one and two though, Dang. or one and three. Sorry. Yeah, Jesse Winker got in a massive fight, and a fan felt bad for him. They sent him a pizza, which he did eat after the wow. game. Wow. Yep. Well, anyways, we'll, we'll jump to your second series here. All right. So this one uh, is Steve Young related. So okay. I, I love Steve Young. Oh crap. Uh, so, well, this is gonna be way too easy for you then. Uh, one, Steve Young was left-handed. Two. That's true. Steve Young was drafted by the 49ers. That's not true. And three, Steve Young uh, did not start his professional football career in the NFL. 
Ooh, well, I mean, he, he was not drafted by the 49ers, so that one's false. That He was drafted by the Buccaneers. Uh, he also uh, started... Uh, he was going to join the USFL, I thought. Uh, he did join the USFL for two seasons, uh, then played two seasons on the Bucks before being traded to the 49ers. Yeah, which I, I didn't know. I learned that today, and I, I just wanted to be able to throw that out there. Yeah, I read Steve Young's book, actually. He, really? He's an awesome guy. Like, he'd, like, freak out before every single game. Like, no matter how old he was, he was just so nervous all the time. And then he'd feel good as soon as the game started, so. I hear that about a lot of people. Like, Josh Allen, like, throws up before every game. Yeah, and, like, Bill Russell. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll jump to my second one then. I'm going to media edition here. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal's elevator story sparks speculation that Stevie Wonder isn't actually blind. Kevin Perkins doubles down on LeBron take, quote, that 2016 team was a seven seed without me. And third, I, I might have gone too far. Aaron Rodgers to utilize the healing sounds of dolphin mating to help rehab his Achilles injury. I'm going to go number two on this one. Is the lie? That is correct. Okay. Did you see that Aaron Rodgers story? I heard. I saw the clip of him on Pat McAfee. Um, it was one of the funniest things. Made yeah, absolutely just no insane. sense. I, I'm wondering if he actually believes it. I, I'm assuming he's actually doing it, but I, I I'm hoping he said it as a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. <laughs> he doesn't, I guess. But we'll, we'll do your final one here. Okay, so this is where the Green Bay Packers went to college. Did. Well, I'll just list them off. It. Mm-hmm. Weird phrasing that I typed it up in. Uh, Jair Alexander uh, went to Louisville. Uh, A.J. Dillon went to college at uh, Texas El Paso. And then uh, Romeo Dobbs, he went to Nevada. Oh, you you son of a gun. I know full well that that was Aaron Jones who went to Texas El Paso. Uh, I believe A.J. Dillon went to Boston College. Correct. And Jair and Romeo yeah, Dobbs, went to obviously. Louisville. Good one, though. Yeah. And here's my final one. And I just decided to go crazy with this one. First one, Florida man threw live gator in Wendy's drive-thru window. Florida man arrested for crashing car into mall, says he was time, she was trying to time travel. And third, Florida man kicked out of Disney World after dressing up as the emperor. I don't even... And the, the costume, like, had some bad stuff on it. These all sound too believable just the florida man in there makes me think that they're all real uh i'm gonna go you want me to number them? two number two okay is a pure guesswork florida man arrested for crashing car into a mall so you're trying to time travel. time travel yeah that did happen did happen <laughs> yeah. how I, what did he have like, he thought it was like the delorean or something yeah, he, that's that's he got fast enough he would yeah okay florida man uh, threw live gator in wendy's drive-thru window yeah I, that one is that real yeah. Oh no way! That one's real. That I was between that one and two. The emperor one sounded real to me. I mean, like. Yeah. Just, well, I I I misread my fake oh, notes that I had down. So I, I. But we tie then, right? Yeah. There's no way that we can settle this. Oh man. Darn. I, I don't have another one. No. Okay. Hmm. Well, how about this? I will give you the number of wins that the Brewers have on the year. Okay. And you're gonna tell me. If it's higher or lower. Okay. 85. Lower. Yes. They have oh, 84. <laughs> let's go. So you get the point. Ah, oh, dang it. That's that's a frustrating one. But 
Nice job from you there. You'll take a, a five four lead. I believe that's your first lead of the year or of all I time. I think I went. What you I went down oh three. Yeah, that's what I thought. So man, congratulations to you. Then I'm gonna go punch this computer because I just gave you a point at the end, totally through. But we could have just split a point. Yeah, <laughs> can't go back. Uh, but for real though, uh, thank you so much for listening to this edition of After Further Review. Hope you have a great Tuesday night. I'm Vincent Hester with Alex Schuster. But don't go anywhere because. The next show, called The Starting Five, I want to make fun of these guys. It's called The Starting Five. involves Joey Bondadonna, Jack Borak, Evan Schmid, and, oh gosh, and David Giardo. That's four people. The show is called Starting Five. But they're (laughs) awesome guys, so please give them a listen right after this. But once again, this is After Further Review. We can't wait to see you next week. Thanks for watching. (laughs) 